0: Welcome to a special medical student episode of the Future Leaders Communique podcast. My name is Jackie. And I'm Gwyn. We're current Australian medical students and we're delighted to be your
1: hosts for this episode.
0: This time, we'll be exploring a case from the Future Leaders Communique series in hopes that it will be a useful learning tool for current medical students and aid in their transition into the role of junior doctors.
1: We'll be reflecting on the coronial inquest into the death of a 65 year old man who was admitted to regional hospital after a court bike crash and who subsequently died of sepsis. We'll be exploring the interpersonal communication within healthcare teams and how to tackle uncertainties when managing patients, especially from the perspective of the junior doctor.
0: We'll get started with a summary of the case, and then we'll go on to a chat with Dr. Danielle Panaccio, who is the guest editor of this edition, who has very kindly agreed to join us today.
1: Let's jump right into it.
0: Mr. J was a 65 year old man who presented to a rural hospital after a quad bike crash at his farm. In the emergency department, no fractures were demonstrated on X-ray, but Mr. J was admitted for observation and pain management. Two days later, he experienced increasing groin pain and a fever, but a CT scan showed only muscle strain and bruising. Since there was no clear reason for Mr. J to be kept in hospital, he was discharged by the consultant surgeon the next day with a diagnosis of soft tissue injury secondary to the quad bike crash and a plan for GP follow up the next week. Seems like a routine case of
1: minor traumatic injury, doesn't it? So how did this case end up in the Coroner's Court of Victoria?
0: Well, three days after his discharge, Mr. J presented to his GP with increasing pain, for which he was prescribed additional analgesia and a plan for review in a few days. This treatment did not lead to an improvement, however, as he represented to hospital with severe septicemia the next day. And despite surgery and ICU management, he unfortunately died three days later.
1: Now that escalated quickly, didn't it? How does a simple minor traumatic injury become septicemia without any apparent warning?
0: Well, if we go back to Mr J's initial hospital presentation, a raised white cell count and C-reactive protein, or CRP, were actually noted upon his admission to hospital. However, the interns did not report these findings to the registrar because they were uncertain of their significance and the registrar had to personally and specifically seek out these results on the hospital documentation system. The raised white cell count and CRP seemed consistent with the CT findings and Mr. J's medical history of gout, so the consultant surgeon was not informed of these abnormal results or even that these investigations had been performed. On top of that, when Mr. J experienced increasing groin pain and a fever two days later, Inflammatory markers were repeated and showed a further rise in white cell count and CRP, but again, the consultant surgeon was not informed. These findings were not documented in the medical record, and in addition, no blood cultures were taken. What were the findings of the coroner's investigation? In the subsequent coroner's investigation, the registrar reflected that in hindsight, he would have performed blood cultures in response to Mr J's febrile episode. The consultant surgeon also stated that if he had known about the raised inflammatory markers, he would have commenced intravenous antibiotics for Mr. J, who would likely have survived. Whilst the warning signs were present, breakdowns in the chain of communication resulted in missed opportunities to save Mr. J's life. What might just be a moment of a long working day for us can change a patient's life forever. That's a pretty sobering thought. But it also makes me wonder, how can situations like this be avoided? If I've learned anything about patient safety over the last few years of med school, it's really never as simple as one person making a mistake.
1: Yeah, definitely agree with you, Jackie. We will now move on to the next segment of this podcast, where we will discuss this case in more detail. Joining us in this segment is Dr. Danielle Panaccio, the junior doctor who was the guest editor for this edition. Thanks so much for joining us, Danielle. Thanks, Gwen and Jackie, for having me with you today.
0: Um, So I guess we'll just get started by asking you to tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, What's your background and what are your interests?
2: Well, I'm currently a final year advanced trainee in general medicine at Austin Health. Um, I'm currently working in obstetric medicine, which is a bit of a change from normal adult medicine, but very interesting. I'm really interested in patient safety and improving the patient experience. And outside of work, I'm really enjoying kayaking on the river and eating lots of delicious food with my big Italian family.
1: Thanks for sharing that with us, Danielle. With regards to this edition of the Communi Case, what was the main message that you wanted to convey?
2: I think this case is really about um, communication between different members of the treating team. So in this case, Mr J presented to the rural hospital and everyone was putting down his symptoms and pain to his past history of gout and the recent electron bursitis but he had a couple of really key investigations particularly the elevated um, CRP and white cell count which were not really discussed amongst members of the treating team and not escalated up to senior members of the treating team particularly the treating surgical consultant Um, so I think this case is just really highlighting uh, the importance of communication between all team members people feeling able to escalate up important results to the consultant.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I guess also you originally wrote this article quite a few years ago, so you were earlier on in your training pathway. So how has your viewpoint on these ideas changed as you've progressed through your career?
2: I think when I first wrote the case, I could really you know, empathise with the junior doctors about you know, not having escalated the result up to the consultant. I guess with a bit more experience, I realised that actually the consultants are much more heavily involved in patient care than you might think as a you know junior intern or as a medical student. And really, the re- role of the junior members of the team is really being the eyes and ears on the ground. And I think you know, reflecting on this case. <laughs> It's not just that the junior doctors didn't escalate things up. It's probably also a reflection on the environment in the team and how well supported everyone found in the team. And I think it's a really important role of the consultant to be creating a positive, you know, collaborative work environment where everyone feels able to speak up about patient results, feels you know, happy that they can just call the consultant or speak to their registrar
1: to escalate a result. In your experience, what are some of the main challenges you faced with escalating cases?
2: I think um, part of it is sometimes not knowing when to escalate. And then I think other times it's feeling worried that if you escalate, you know, someone will think that you're silly or you're asking, you know, a stupid question. I think people who are more scared and more worried about mistakes are probably going to be more careful and escalate sooner. And there's always going to be, you know, the unknown unknown, you know, having something that you don't know needs to be escalated. And it's is an unknown unknown for you. And hopefully there's someone, you know, more senior on the team or a colleague who will pick up those, you know, unknown unknown factors. With the second thing is like worrying that you'll feel Uh, silly. I think the important thing to remember is that we're all learning. You know, there's a reason why we're called doctors in training as junior doctors and even consultants, you know, they're all learning too. No one knows everything. We're not robots or computers. And so I think just acknowledging that it's normal to, as a human, to not know the answer and to need help and to ask a colleague. And in my whole time, as a junior doctor, which is, you know, not forever, but I guess seven years now, I've never had a senior doctor say to me, oh, you shouldn't have asked for help or why did you call me about this? This is such a silly question. Everyone has always been so happy to be called and happy to discuss a patient or a question or concern. So I think there's a few reasons why people not might not feel brave enough to escalate, but just to reassure everyone that escalating is the right thing to do. And I always worry, you know, what happens if someone thinks I'm silly, but then I know if something happens to the patient and there's a harm or an error, I'll feel much more silly. So better just to, you know, call and ask for help when you need it.
0: Yeah, that's definitely um, very interesting. So I guess another thing that's on everyone's mind right now is the big pandemic. How has COVID changed these things uh, in terms of work culture, communication?
2: Yeah, COVID has been a super challenging time for everyone. I think not only in the original phases of the pandemic, it was really stressful being worried about, you know, getting sick yourself or um, getting COVID and transmitting it to a loved one, but also just the general stress of, you know, wearing PPE all day at work, having lots of sick leave, coming to work, not knowing whether your team's going to be fully staffed. So I think it has been a really challenging time. But I can say that even though, you know, burnout is high, and even though I do think everyone's feeling really tired, I think that within the healthcare system, there's been an amazing capacity to work together and work as a team through all this hardship. And I've certainly felt, you know, really well supported by my medical and in particular, my nursing colleagues. Like they're the ones who are always encouraging and um, helping us to continue. So it has been a challenging time, but also good to see everyone band together.
1: Thanks for that insight into what it's like now working during COVID. So from this case, we can see that communication within the healthcare team is really important. What are some things medical students can do now when on placement? Yeah, I
2: think starting good habits early is important. So as an intern, I used to be really overwhelmed particularly by the jobs list that gets accumulated at the end of the ward round. So I think as a medical student, you've got a great opportunity to get involved, particularly with what's happening on the ward, get involved on the ward round, go grab the folders, you know, just learn how the systems of the hospital works and kind of, you know, who's who in the zoo, like what's the role of an a how they're different from the bedside nurse, you know, what's the difference between a registrar and a resident. And I think as you get in your more senior clinical years in medical school, you can practice being like a shadow or a junior intern. And one thing I used to try do was, as the water round went along, write down the jobs on my bit of paper. So when we went to do the paper round, I could compare, you know, my jobs list to the interns' job list, um, and also, you know, calling GPS for results. Sometimes calling patients, families for more collateral, there's lots of ways that medical students can be part of the team and learn those skills that will hopefully help them be more organised and more efficient during their intern years.
0: Yeah, it's really great to know that we can be at least a little bit useful because I know a lot of the time we feel a bit out of place when we're on placements.
2: I definitely know that feeling of feeling out of place on placements because I remember when I became a doctor, I was like, oh, thank God, like I'm paid to be here instead of feeling a bit awkward in the back of the room and worrying that I'm taking up people's time. But I'll definitely tell you that an uh, interested medical student who's engaged and is present and is willing to um, help out is a real asset to the team. And I know a lot of doctors love having medical students around, not only for their teaching experience, but it's just sometimes nice to have other people who are engaged and interested. So I think be proactive, be keen, you know, tell the teams that you're there to learn
1: and I think you'll hopefully
2: have a great time on placement.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today, Danielle, and for sharing your valuable insight. Thanks so much for having me. So there we have it. It's fairly easy to conclude that the work culture of medicine needs to continue to evolve to support junior doctors and their management of patients amidst uncertainty. But what do actual junior doctors think of all of this?
0: Well, of course, there's only one way to really find out. Um, So we surveyed a few junior doctors, asking them about their experiences with team hierarchy and dealing with uncertainty.
1: Encouragingly, most reported a supportive work culture where a clear but positive hierarchy was present. This clarity of roles facilitated decision-making but also allowed junior doctors to feel empowered as a member of the team and to ask for help when needed. None of the survey participants reported any situations where they felt uncertain about a patient's care but weren't able to approach a senior for help.
0: Now, of course, it's important to acknowledge that this may not be reflective of all junior doctor experiences. Obviously, it's harder to share negative experiences, so those who have had them are less likely to have participated in our survey. Nonetheless, we also asked um, the junior doctors if they had any practical advice on how to safely navigate uncertainty, and this is what they had to say.
1: To avoid adverse patient outcomes, they recommended gathering information and formulating a plan independently and then checking their preliminary plan with a senior doctor, as well as other healthcare workers such as nurses and pharmacists. When implementing plans for other doctors, they recommended clarifying these plans with the team and reminded us that although daunting, at the end of the day, a senior doctor would rather a junior doctor ask what they might consider a silly question than for that uncertainty to result in harm to the patient.
0: That's some great advice, and it really echoes what Danielle mentioned earlier. Definitely worth pondering and keeping in mind as we progress through medical school and embark upon our careers in the near future.
1: So that brings us to the end of this episode of the Medical Student Communicates.
0: This issue highlights the importance of junior staff uh, communicating uncertainties to senior staff and ensuring that abnormal findings from investigations are addressed.
1: Fostering an environment where junior staff feel comfortable asking for help ensures that patient safety is at the forefront of every clinical setting.
0: Once again, we'd like to thank Dr. Panaccio for her valuable insight and to the junior doctors we surveyed for sharing their experiences and advice.
1: We hope that we've managed to give you some food for thought. Thanks for listening and see you next time.